So let's look now. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Romans. As we announced last week, we are starting a new series on Romans. And I am extremely excited, as is Chris, uh, to dive into this book. And I think that uh, this sermon will lay out exactly why. Uh, but let's look at Romans. We're going to read the first 17 verses together. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who were loved by God and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray together. Our great God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for its sufficiency, for the simplicity of the message and yet the depth of the message. We thank you, O oh God, that this message of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. That it has no regard for race or class for wisdom, for foolishness. We thank You, O God, that the power of the Gospel is to save a people and unite a people, the very people of God, Your church, Your bride, of which You are the head. And so, Father, we pray in the next few moments that Your Spirit would come, that You would open our hearts to see the relevancy of the Gospel to our lives personally, and that, God, you might drive us to deep faith in the reality of our sin and yet deep faith in the reality of what you have done to make us righteous before the Father. And I pray, O oh God, that you would unite us in this message that we might be unleashed into the world to be on mission. O oh, Father, I need your grace. I need your wisdom. I need your discernment. I need you to do through me what only you can do. So please do it. 
Give us eyes to see, ears to hear the glorious message of the gospel. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark is a a friend of mine that I've told you about, I think, before. But uh, when he was nine or ten, he went to Africa with his father on a mission trip. His father was a surgeon, a, a doctor, and he took him to several hospitals throughout Africa. And one night, Mark wandered off and, um, and saw a man dying on a gurney. Uh, he, he, he just locked eyes. Everybody in the hospital was just too busy to deal with this man. But Mark had nothing else to do but stand there and look face to face with this man. And he said he saw fear, he saw helplessness, and he saw hopelessness. And in that moment, something went off inside of young Mark. And he felt a calling to go to med school one day and to go back to Africa to start a clinic. And I want you to know that's exactly what he did. Because he felt so called to do that, he came back and he submitted himself to school. He became a slave, a servant in the classroom. Why? Because he was living for something higher and greater. Something happened to him. And he went through middle school, and he went through high school, and he went through um, college, and he went through med school, and he went through his internship, and he did a couple of years here in the States. And then he, he got the opportunity to go to Malawi, Africa, and to start that clinic. Something happened to this man. And as I read Romans and I look at the life of Paul, there's one thing that's unmistakable, and it is that something has happened to him. He starts this, this, this letter off, Paul, a servant. Who in the world starts anything with those words? I mean, if, if we have some lowly job, if we're just this little servant, this little slave out here, we're, we're trying to hide the reality. And yet Paul says, I am Paul the servant. Something had happened to him. That word servant there is the Greek word doulos, and it means slave. He said, I'm a slave. And I want you to know this was, this was radical because Paul was in the upper class. He was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, educated among the educated. He was on the up and up. He was at the top of his game. He could have made as much money as he wanted to make and had as much power as he wanted to have. And yet he gave it all up to become what? A slave. And yet a willing slave. If there's anything about those that serve, those that serve suffer, and we see that Paul suffered. 2 Corinthians 11, listen, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. 
Paul was royalty. And yet he made himself a slave. He suffered as a slave. But no matter how bad the circumstances got, it did not kill his joy. He did it joyfully. We see right here in verses 8 through 10, the joy of Paul, the passion of Paul. First, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking, begging God's, that it might be his will that I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you. Now, what you need to know is in Rome, the the government there, the leaders there, the church leaders wanted him arrested and killed. He would die a, a martyr's death in Rome. That's how his life would end. And yet you would think if that's the city that's going to kill you, if that's where your enemies are, the people that want to take you out, you would say, that's the last place I want to go. And yet, what what is Paul saying? I want to come that I may impart some gift to you that we might encourage each other in this battle of, uh, of faith. He is joyful in the midst of horrendous circumstances. And we see this throughout his letters. In Philippians 4, he says he's learned to be content in any and all circumstances. He wrote that letter in, in, while he was in jail. 1 Thessalonians, he says to rejoice always. Rejoice in everything. Even in your suffering, because Christ suffered. So what is this thing that he's become a slave to? Listen. Set apart for the gospel of God. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel For it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it a righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel. This phrase, the righteous shall live by faith, I want you to know has impacted your life today more than any other phrase in all of the scriptures. A righteousness that comes to you through faith. There was a young man by the name of Augustine in the year 386. You heard me correctly. 386. Who read those words and couldn't sleep. Who read those words and kept wrestling with it. Why? Because every other, every other truth, every other idea, every other philosophy said, do this, follow this path, and then God will accept you. But this Christian message is saying, no, there's a righteousness that comes through doing nothing but believing. Several centuries later, Martin Luther would be working hard as a monk, denying himself everything. And then he comes upon these words, the righteous shall live by faith. And a light went on. (laughs) And the Reformation happened. John Wesley, John Calvin, you go down the list, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the game changer. It's the very power of God. And this is what we're going to see in the book of Romans. He lays it out. He begins laying it out for us right here. 
What is this gospel? What is this power of God? What does it mean the righteous shall live by faith? Let's look at it. First of all, the gospel is news and it's good news. The gospel is news and it's good news. I sent an email to somebody who'd been visiting the church um, a few weeks ago. And they didn't respond to my email. Um, you know, after a couple days, I started getting a little antsy. And, you know, a few more days went by. And then a week went by. And I'd written, I, mean, I was like, oh, man, they've left the church. You know, they, they've gone. And I'd met with them. And, I, I, you know, I'd met with them and talked to them about the church and kind of introduced myself. And so as I'm thinking through all this, I, I'm just, you know, and the days go by, I'm just kind of, I'm feeling smaller and smaller and having all these conversations with myself and, and, and creating a whole news story. These people left the church because of me. I hope they don't tell anybody, you know. I mean, is that not ridiculous? I want you to know I've been a Christian. I've been a believer in Jesus Christ since I was a ninth grader in high school. Uh, I, I've been walking with Jesus, He with me, for some 33 years. I have been preaching the gospel for over 25 years. I've been giving myself to this message day in and day out, telling I don't know how many people throughout the years. And when somebody doesn't respond to my email in seven days, I am undone. I need a power. (laughs) I need something outside of myself that can define me. And dear friends, you do too. Does everybody have a copy of this handout? I would love for you just to camp here. Uh, Not for the rest of this sermon, um, but I want you to take it home. And if you've had time to kind of look through it, what you see is some characteristics of, of, of those that are not believing the gospel. Now, these can be Christians. This can be you and me. It's what happened to me. I was acting as if I didn't have a father who has loved me from all eternity. I was acting as if I didn't have a a, a father who has made me righteous in Christ and by the very work of Christ through his finished work. I was acting as if I was all alone. It's just me and this is my church and it all rests on me and God has nothing to do about it. There's no Holy Spirit. Do you ever feel alone? Do you ever feel anxious over felt needs? Do you ever live on a success fail basis? Do you ever feel condemned or guilty or unworthy? Do you ever have little faith and lots of fear? Do you ever labor under a sense of unlimited obligation? Are you ever rebellious, resisting authority? Your heart is hard? I mean, just go down the list. Look at the back. Do you ever tend to be ungrateful? Do you ever tend to point out what's always wrong? You're that one in the crowd. Oh, I knew it was going to turn out like this. You ever gossip? You ever confess somebody else's sins? You ever compare yourself with other people? Oh, are you relatively prayerless? You ever boast? Are you concerned about building a record of deeds that needs noticing and defending? Do you look for satisfaction in positions, possessions, or idols, pacifiers? Do you lack a passion to share the gospel? Dear friends, there's hope for us. There's hope for us. And it, it's, this, it's this gospel. 
How are you presently struggling to believe the gospel? Guess what? The gospel is not something that you have to do. The gospel is something that does you. (laughs) The gospel is something that does something to you. Do you hear me? Most people, and I would say most people that call themselves Christians, and most Christians wake up every day saying, what must I do today? And the implication is, what must I do to be right with God? And the gospel says there's nothing you can do. It's been done for you. It's finished. That's how you know that you're a Christian when you understand it. See, the gospel is something that we must believe. It's news. We see it by the very word gospel. It's used about six times, maybe more times in these 17 verses than any other place in the Scriptures. The Greek word for gospel is evangel or uh, euangel. And what that means is angel, A-N-G-E-L, transliterated is angel. What's an angel? It's one who heralds. An angel is always speaking the message of God. He's never given his own message. An angel pronounces. He gives good news, right? And that's what, you know, ev or or, or, uh, you means in Greek. Good. It's good message. Good news. It's news. Religion gives you law or a path. Follow this path of life. And then you will be right with the world and right with God. No. The message of the gospel is news about what Christ has done. It's the gospel of God. And it's good news. Isaiah 52, 7. You know, we've seen this passage. It's rooted in the prophets. It's, it, it, it concerns His Son who is descended from David according to the flesh. It's rooted in something deep. In Isaiah 52, 7, we read, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Interesting passage, publishes, publishes. Who publishes? Papers do. They publish what? They publish news. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament days, when there were battles, um, they couldn't shoot a text home or, you know, have live satellite to show what was going on. So what do they do? They, They sent a herald, a messenger. And so the people would be in the city and, you know, up on the tower, the man would be watching out and then here comes the herald. If he's running really fast, ah, look at the feet of him who's bringing good news. He's churning. Look at him coming, you know. If he's kind of running slow, ah, oh, buddy, he's not bringing good news. But the herald who's bringing good news, look at the feet of the one who's bringing good news. And what is the good news? Our God reigns. In the battle, he wasn't defeated. He still reigns. And that's the message of the gospel. You may be losing your battle with sin, but guess what? Jesus hasn't. That's the good news. You may feel defeated. You may feel like a failure. Well, guess what? Jesus wasn't. And so you're not if you believe in Him. That's good news. It's not a path. It's it's news. It's information that we must believe. The message is about Jesus. Listen, set apart for the gospel of God. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The message is about Jesus and what He did. 
Listen, for in it the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Or beginning with faith and ending with faith. I want you to know that most people, when they think about Jesus, and, and, and they, you know, a preacher starts telling them the gospel, they say, oh, I know Jesus died for my sins. That's the gospel. That's not the whole gospel. It's great. The gospel wouldn't be the gospel if Jesus hadn't died for our sins. I am not demeaning or demoting the atoning work of Christ on the cross at all. But that's not all He did. If that's all He did, then this is what, what would happen for you and me. Alright, Jesus died for your sins, now don't blow it. Because He's not coming to die again. He's given us one last chance. And that's what most people think Christianity is. That's how we live our lives. Oh, He died for me. But I've blown it now. There's no way that I could be a Christian. The only way you're not a Christian is if, if you don't believe that you're not worth Jesus' blood. <laughs> but if you know you have Jesus' blood, you have to be confident of the fact that you not just have His blood and His forgiveness, but you have His righteousness. Because what Jesus did is He didn't just die, but He lived under the law. He lived under the law. He woke up every day with his heart and his soul and his mind set on what pleases his Father, and he accomplished it perfectly. But he didn't just do that so that he could be exalted. He did that in your place. As much as Jesus died for you, he lived for you equally. He lived under the law for you so that now we are not under law. But we are under the grace of Jesus Christ who has lived in our place. This is a righteousness. And friends, righteousness is what we're all after. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning. If you don't feel right with God, I mean, you know, sometimes we don't even know. We say, I just don't even feel right with the world. I feel unrighteous. We were at the dinner table the other night. Uh, keeping Bennett and Braden, and Braden, our three-year-old grandson, was, you know, had his sweet potatoes over here, and he was eating everything around those sweet potatoes, and he was just convinced he hated sweet potatoes, and we kept saying, Braden, you're going to love those sweet potatoes, and I, I was trying to use all kinds. I mean, sweet. You know what else is sweet? Candy. You know, ice cream, chocolate, sweet potato. You know, French fry, potato, French fry it didn't work. And finally, he was feeling so much pressure. Eat those sweet potatoes. Finally, he was like, if you don't eat those sweet potatoes, you know. And he finally just exasperated, threw his head down in his hand. He said, y'all are hurting my feelings. He felt unrighteous. He felt judged. He felt like we were saying, son, here's the standard. You don't meet it. You don't eat those potatoes. You're not a part of us. Because we're a family that eats our sweet potatoes. You know. I mean, we see it in a three-year-old. He wants approval. He wants acceptance. He wants to be loved. He wants to be delighted in. He wants to be praised. He doesn't want to be condemned. And we don't either. A righteousness. We want to be righteous. You see, what Braden was showing us is ourselves. We are all, we all have this, 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 like, pump, <laughs> like a water pump. You ever, 
ever had it, seen a water pump? You take a water pump, you plug it in, you put it in a, you know, a, a water, and it pumps out. Well, guess what? We have a water pump that, in our soul that never is unplugged. When you wake up in the morning, it just starts bringing it in, whatever's around. All throughout the day, it's bringing it in. And so what we have to do is we have to take that pump and we've got to put it instead of the things of the world, beauty, success, money, image, reputation, and we've got to put it on the finished work of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a righteousness that comes to us through faith when we believe it. And we were created for that righteousness. Do you have that kind of assurance this morning that you stand righteous before God? You don't if you're full of fear and anxiety about the coming week. You don't if you need to please anybody around you. You don't if you're scared for people to find out who you really are. You don't if you feel insignificant and you don't if you feel prideful. You see, the righteousness of Christ is this. I am nothing, but Jesus is everything, and His work is completed. He's done it all. So I can rest in Him. That's the gospel. Do you believe it this morning to the point that something has happened to you? And then secondly, the gospel enslaves us when we believe it. There's a man by the name of Craig Dismuke who's a father of a three-year-old son who was diagnosed with a brain tumor. He's a, a patient. Uh, the son is a patient at St. Jude. And for several years now, St. Jude has been treating um, Craig Dismuke's son. And, and, you know, his son is still in cancer treatment, and yet this man goes and speaks everywhere. He spoke at the Peabody Thursday night doing a fundraiser for St. Jude. Why in the world would you do that? Gratitude. You see, he has made himself a slave to the ones that have saved and are saving his son's life. Now, what Paul does here is he talks about an obedience that comes from faith. Look at verse 4. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Look at verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Here's the principle. Obedience doesn't come through determination. Obedience comes through faith. You obey what you believe. Why in the world, and I'm going to call Ray Charles out over here, why in the world would Ray Charles be wearing a Chicago Bears jersey and hat over here? Because he believes something I don't. (laughs) What drove him to think, This is the best, you know, fashion choice for the day. I wouldn't be caught dead in a Chicago bear. Now, Jersey's fine, but not that Jersey, you know. You see, it's faith. It's what you believe in the moment. Why am I going to take the next breath? Because I believe that it's safe. I believe it will keep me alive. Why do we do everything? Why do we get in a car and go 80 miles an hour down an expressway going in and out of traffic while these other car crazy people around us that we don't even know are driving? Because we believe 
that we're safe. And then if we follow the rules, it's going to be okay. It's faith. You obey what you believe. There is nothing that you do in your life that is not attributed to faith. You say, no, I'm an, intellect- I'm an intellectual. I do everything I do through reason and rationale. No, you don't. You can't. You say, well, I reject Christianity because I, you know, that just takes faith. I want you to know that it takes more faith to reject that an omnipotent God could raise a dead man than it does. No, it takes more faith to believe. Let, let, let's back that up a little bit. It takes more faith <laughs> to believe that there's something you can do to appease an omnipotent and holy God than it does to believe an omnipotent and holy God could raise a dead man and do so in your behalf. You see, it's faith. It's just a matter of what you're willing to believe. But every single argument has a faith base to it. And the only question is, what do you believe? Not, do you believe? You do believe. But what do you believe? And what the Gospel tells us is that what you believe, when you believe the Christian gospel, you become a slave to it. You see, right now, many of us in this room are slaves to our anxiety, slaves to our fear, slaves to a belief that that maybe a sexual relationship is what's going to satisfy me, or having the right job, or getting this money, or living in this house, or, or making this grade on the test, or getting into this school. We believe that that's going to make us right with the world. But the reason that we're so anxious and fear-filled is because we know that that is just, it's just a blowing of the wind and it's gone. We weren't made for that. We weren't made to be enslaved to some system of success, some, some system of do this and then you will be validated as a real and worthy person. You were made by God, for God. And you were made to believe His Gospel that says there is nothing you can do to measure up in the eyes of God, but believe that Christ has measured up for you. And once you believe that, then all of a sudden the pressure is gone from having to look right and having to be right because you literally are right in the eyes of God. And we see this, and we're going to see it throughout Romans. You see, it's a beautiful thing, because the book of Romans, everybody thinks about, when they think about the book of Romans, they think heavy theology, doctrine. Because righteousness comes to us through faith, and because obedience comes to the Christian through believing the Christian gospel, The deeper we go in our knowledge of this gospel, the deeper our obedience will go. Did you hear me? Because obedience comes from believing God, the more we understand about God, the more obedient we will become. It's one thing to believe that in one moment in time, Richard received the gospel when it was preached and became a Christian. It's a whole other thing to step back and go, now wait a minute, that wasn't Richard acting apart from God. 
But God, before the creation of the world, said, I want Richard Reeves to be my son. But he's too messed up. He's going to be too much of a wreck. And so I'm going to send my son to, re- to live the life that he could never live and die the death that he could never die so that Richard Reeves can possess the treasure that he could never earn in his own life. And then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold him there and I'm going to teach him every minute of every day more about me. And I'm going to teach him through his failures how much he needs me. And I'm going to hold him like my son and I will be his father. And I'm going to put his spirit in him and my spirit is going to move him to cry out to me in lonely times and troubled times. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to take him home one day and he's going to live with me for eternity. And that is if it's already happened because God has said that it will happen. The whole picture is already done. You know where I got that? From the book of Romans. And if I believe that today, and I get another email, or or, or somebody fails to respond to my email, I've got somewhere to go. I've got some better news to believe. If your husband is treating you badly, or your wife is treating you badly, or you're not married and you're feeling treated badly because you're not, guess what? There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not death, not sin, not anything. Guess where I got that? The book of Romans. You see, there is nothing more practical than this theology, because the more you understand about God, since what Since God is infinitely good and glorious, the more obedient you're going to become. Even if somebody, if God takes somebody that you love, you can say, this is not the end. Why? Because the Word of God in the book of Romans tells us it's not the end. And then finally, the Gospel propels us to mission. When Paul became a Christian, we've got to hit this fast and hard. When Paul became a Christian, he was rejected by his people. He was rejected by the Jews. And one of the primary reasons that he was rejected by the Jews is because he refused to hate the people they hated. You see, there was deep classism, deep prejudice deep racism in society at the time, and it was among the Jews and everybody else called Greeks or Gentiles. And they hated each other, not because they had a basis to, but because they created a basis to hate one another. They ate different food. Gentiles ate barbecue, pig, and Jews wouldn't let that stuff come across their lips. They wore different clothes. They had different moral standards. They... Um, celebrated different holidays. The Jews had religious high and holy feast, and the Gentiles just had parties. Throw the pig on, bring the keg, and let's let's do this thing, you know. And they judged each other. The Gentiles judged the Jews as sticks in the mud, and the and the Jews judged the Gentiles as unrighteous pagan barbarians. And you had this going on, and yet when when Paul, the Jew, was converted to Christianity, he became a missionary to the Gentiles. And the Jews were like, you've got to be kidding me. Now the question is this, how in the world, and this is just God's wisdom and his sense of humor too, why would God 
take a Jew, a prominent Jew, and send him to the Gentiles? One reason, to show the power of God. I understand. I was minding my own business in Colorado. And God said, go to Memphis and plant a multi-ethnic, multi-class church. And I said, God, you've got the wrong guy. I don't even have any black friends. And I'm going to go raise money to plant this church, and everybody's going to go, do you know what you're doing? And I'm going to have to say no. Who's going to give me money? Who's going to back this? Who's going to come to a church of a white guy in Colorado, private school educated? Who? What gives me the right to do this? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Listen here. The gospel says this. You see, culture is divided because, man, we eat prime rib and filet, and those people eat chitlins. And I mean, seriously, we judge each other by our diet. Are you kidding me? No, that's real stuff, and you know it. I mean, to the point that churches in this city are saying, don't marry the... We can't have intermarriage. That's just, you know, that's marrying outside of our kind, and God looks... It's ridiculous. Because the Gospel says... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. There is no higher standard. You think you're uppity, you're actually lower because your pride condemns you. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see it? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When Paul understood that, he had lived this life of trying to be better than everybody else because he thought himself to be righteous based on a system of religion. But every day he woke up, he said, well, is this the day that I'm going to blow it? Is this the day on the way to the temple? Is this the day on the way to the Sanhedrin meeting? Is this the day when I'm on my way to work and I can't resist my sensual urges and I go after that girl at the gate of the city? (laughs) Every day he knew he lived on the line between the most respected man in the city to being the absolute throwaway in the city. And then he heard this message, there is no one righteous, no, not one All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But guess what? There's a righteousness that comes through faith in the finished work of Christ. And he said, hallelujah, my soul has been set free. And therefore, he could go to the Gentiles and he could take the scorn of the Jews, saying, you lowlife, look who you're hanging around. He could say, these are my brothers. Look at him. He calls them his brothers in this passage. He said, brothers, I've longed to come to you. You see, the gospel... It's the power to make an all-new community. And it's the only message that has a power to make an all-new community. How we define ourselves to be righteous is how we define others to be righteous. And how we define ourselves to be unrighteous is how we define others to be unrighteous. And therefore, if everybody in this room, no matter if you woke up under an overpass this morning or you woke up in a 10,000-square-foot house... Whether you've been to Cancun and London or wherever, or you've never left this part of Memphis, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and there's only one way to receive His righteous standing and His perfection is the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when you understand that, that you're nothing, then you can take that message to the world and you will. 
I stood before a group of people one day, and they said, do you really believe that you're going to get people downtown to worship together? And I said, I, I believe one thing. I believe the gospel can do it. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we understand the gospel is powerful, yeah. But, I mean, how are you going to do it? Now, surely you've got to have great music. I was like, wow, you've got to have great music. Yeah, we want good music because God deserves it. But that's not what's going to, that's not the power of God. Music is not the power of God. I said, if we really believe the gospel, men, then we believe that we are no better than someone who lives on the street, and someone who lives on the street is just as sinful as someone who lives in a house on the bluff. And we believe that the same blood reconciles them to God and makes them right. And that our brothers, therefore, are those who believe that in Christ Jesus, not the people that wear the same shirts we do or drive the same cars we do or have the same skin color we do. You see, Paul is talking about going to the Gentiles, and that's what he did. Why did he do it? Because he didn't need the approval and the acceptance of his people. Do you? Are you excited about the gospel to the point that you want to tell somebody? Then you don't understand and believe the gospel. Maybe you've made theology a sport, or maybe you just hadn't heard it yet. But once you understand that there is nothing that you will do today that will get you any closer to God or make you any further from God if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but He is dancing over you. Enjoy right now. But Richard, I slept with somebody last night out of wedlock. Richard, I hadn't talked to my spouse in two months. Richard, I've, I, I used my money. You, because of Jesus' blood, if there's something that you think you can do or stop doing that's going to make you any better before God, better than the blood of Jesus makes you before God, then you are not a Christian. You're not believing the gospel. Because this table tells us this morning, Come to me, your only hope is a broken body and shed blood. Do you believe that this morning? Have you become a slave to it? To the point that you want to live missionally and tell other people about it. Whether it's a guy on the street or a guy in a a skyscraper. Has the gospel done something to you? Has it captivated you? Dear friends, then study it if it hasn't. And believe it and cry out to God for great faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for the beauty of the gospel. And we pray as we go to the table now that you will draw us in. And you will do something in our hearts. Father, this is your idea. This is not something we created or a team at the church created. This is what you commanded us to do. To come empty handed and to declare yet again, there is nothing I can do but receive Jesus by faith and walk in Him. Oh, Lord Jesus, You are our hero. May we boast in You at Downtown Church. May You be bigger than culture. May You be bigger than our image. May You be bigger than our our doing. May You be bigger than anything in our lives this morning that we might worship You and live obediently through faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.